0: Hello and welcome to Under the Skin with me, Jenny Mae Finn. This week I spoke with Jeremy Corbell. Jeremy is a documentary filmmaker, he's made a number of films, but why you know him is because he's releasing all this footage of extraterrestrials and all that kind of stuff, or at least of extraterrestrial craft. But are they aliens though, Jen? Are they aliens or is it just an advanced tech? I don't know. Oh, thanks, Jen.
1: (laughs) I mean, which is it's all the same, isn't
0: it? How so?
1: I mean if it's an advanced anything, it
0: falls under the same realm, right? No. If it's Why? aliens, that's really brilliant. If it's like just but, people from Russia. But
1: do we really want want yes. them here? Why?
0: They might kill us. Oh right, well, you've gone straight away from not believing in aliens to believing they're gonna kill it. No not no joyous bit where does he to Do you think they'll save Alf. us? They might save me, Jen. <laughs> they might save me for my tireless work helping them and being a good guy. You I think they're gonna Pretty... Do you
1: think aliens and people can interact? Maybe we're so. not on the same plane. Maybe they're in a different dimension. Look, Maybe in... it's just a little flicker of dimensions escaping. Yeah, we actually you actually know. can't ever interact with them.
0: Jenny, <laughs> I'm well across. It's <laughs> being a flicker of dimensions. It was pretty clear from the conversation with Jeremy that he believes that I've been interacting with, with a them. prawn. Jen, <laughs> I've seen spaceships, and what Jeremy—it was clear from Jeremy that he thought that they've been d- downloading information directly into my consciousness.
1: Is that what he said? I
0: didn't say it, Jen. Do you out, think
1: ghosts it. exist as well? Huh? Do you think ghosts exist no. as well? Why?
0: Because uh, I don't know that, like, what well, ghosts—as in, dead people's souls take temporarily. Well, if taken... we all
1: blob into the, the consciousness after we're dead. If you believe in that. Maybe you'll <laughs> into little pieces of energy.
0: Jen, you've come here <laughs> like you work <laughs> at a gas station in Kentucky today. <laughs> and that they're not paying you well. <laughs> you look like an underpaid worker at a gas station in Kentucky. You look like you've been hitting the meth on the way in. What? Hey, maybe you should give me a lift to... Um, no. <laughs> what if you? What if I drove your car? Oh no. And I wore no. your sunglasses? No. Why?
1: No. They're the only two things that I actually like.
0: In the I world. Have hat, what about that dog?
1: <laughs> I love Barney. Yeah. But she's not mine.
0: Whose does she belong to? Justin. Yeah. Let's make sure we're using his jingles. Have we used one yet? Have we used Banter Decanta? Banta Decanta. Can you hear? Can some... mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, let's do some banter. Does that dog like you or does it merely yeah, tolerate me. you? Apparently,
1: when Sandy goes, Jenny's coming over, she gets really excited. Like, she's, she's never probably, done it before. She's
0: probably panicking, Jenny. No, she she's goes probably out to panicking. Eat. She loves it. It's probably me. hysteria. It's probably the onset of epilepsy. Because I know a lot of people, when they, they say, Jenny's coming, <laughs> I've known people be physically sick. <laughs> no. Physically sick Jen. of excitement. <laughs> the re- don't kids sort of throw up when they
1: get too excited?
0: <laughs> I don't know. They, <laughs> often when they're traumatised, Jenny. Often when they're traumatised. Okay. All right, let's 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 read out some comments. Now time for comments. 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 comments, Good. Well done, Justin. You're a saintly man. This is from Durgaram108. Mr. Gabor, my favourite. How eloquent and congruent he is. The planet needs more people like him. Thanks, out Russell Brand. My energy mentor. Every word he speaks is medicine. Dr... Thanks for sharing this We often don't know what we're looking for When really all we need is a sense of belonging And meaning It was pretty good that Gabor A chat Did you leave in all the sort of the madness and that Like you know, yeah. that, me going Gareth we best all that shit out
1: mm-hmm. it's pretty, It
0: It's a pretty mad podcast then Yeah
1: it was really good uh, The whole situation
0: was mad What a mad world we live in What a mad mad world we live in I just want to go to bed and go to sleep now, <laughs> listen to shout-outs. shout I love old colour, colour box. our new bit of equipment, don't you, Jen? Yeah. Steve Harding says, I think you're a bit of a legend and I love what you're trying to do. If people are better informed, then we can only hope that better decisions are being made for us. Keep doing the podcast on Underskin. I listen to them on my drive to work. Oh, Steve Harding, I love you. I love you, mate. Michael Corrigan from Australia says, "I just want to say that joining Luminary turned out to be a great choice. Your conversation is so real, and in today's fake, fickle, polarizing lifestyle, it's the soul food I need. I just listened to your chat with David Kesler; it moved me to tears too. What an inspiration to be a better human. Love it, man. He was grief expert who'd lost his son, wasn't it? Yeah, it was moving. Jen, were you moved by it? Yeah. You don't get moved very often, do you? I was sad when well. my granny died. Pardon. I
1: was sad when my granny died.
0: When 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 did that happen? She Jen? died when I was three. And you were sad then?
1: Well, yeah, my realization of the inevitability of debt happened at five. so... And
0: don't then don't I, try and posit yourself as some sort of advanced no, awakening. No, because I actually, l- actually thought She
1: was the only person that I like, missed. Who? My granny. I actually felt feelings for her.
0: What do you mean? She's been locked up since then?
1: <laughs> no, but when she went, I felt like something You're always say. feeling feelings then. <laughs> no, <Jen. laughs> oh, none. <laughs>
0: Of course you are <laughs> sit there watching your little things on YouTube Oh I like these two, I like them You're always feeling feelings
1: <laughs> Am I not supposed to? Well what's your feelings about
0: your car? Feelings
1: I'm Attachment I'm trying, trying to feel detachment because I saw a scratch on it
0: Did you? Yeah How do you think it happened?
1: I don't know, it's, in that, it's on that metal on the windscreen on the side So I don't know, a bush? Weird
0: Bush that's why I'm not attached to my car. I know. I'm not a very good driver. Can I? Why don't you give me a driving lesson in a manual? I've got to learn a manual for my van holiday.
1: You have a lesson Are on you Friday? worried that I
0: wouldn't be very good at it? Yeah. You know me, actually. You know I've got... No <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, but I've got good values. You know that if I damaged your car, I'd pay for it. You know that, don't you? Yeah, but you?
1: what if I get damaged?
0: <laughs>
1: well, that's, how would anyone know Jen
0: How would anyone notice how would we begin to understand such a thing? All right so listen um if you want to meditate, meditate on my podcast above the noise you're a subscriber to Luminary already. Jen, are you meditating? Uh, no, I did
1: not. meditate once
0: how did it go? Not well
1: yeah, it was fine but I don't put much pressure on myself anymore
0: uh, so I'm point? okay
1: if it don't nothing happened
0: Yeah there's nothing's going to happen. Anyway, go and listen to Above the Noise because it's a pretty. I just, I've been doing some really good guided meditations on there. And I'm pretty sure we can shepherd ourselves to some sort of awakening, even though I'm really tired today. <laughs> Charlotte Bailey says, I've recently discovered your podcast for Luminary. I just want to say thank you for bringing such light to incredible to- topics. Above the Noise helped me on my own journey for grief, depression. And these meditations have been a lifesaver. So why don't you try Also, I'm on tour. I'm doing live tour dates in the UK this autumn with my new stand-up show, 33. Tickets are available at Ross Russell- Way Laughing.
1: You, you can tell you're a bit tired.
0: I am tired. Tickets are available <laughs> at com. I particularly want you to buy tickets to go and see me in Basingstoke. <laughs> it's near the beginning. I'm doing them at 6 p.m. <laughs> the shows. So when I do my shows at 6 p.m.
1: Is it because you're testing people? Imagine if you did them at eight.
0: Why? What would it be like then?
1: And it'd sell out straight away. Too late. People are at, at six.
0: They're a furloughed.
1: At, in back, in the future. In the future, they're not. It goes away, doesn't
0: it? Who knows, Jim? Well, I hope so. Cause otherwise,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Gareth catches a bit of it from time to time. Look, if you want to come and see me, particularly, go to russellbrand.com. Get tickets. Come and see me live, especially in Basingstoke. Even if you have to travel a bit to Basingstoke, I'm going to be. I just want to see some people there mailing list alliance Click exclusive videos that you'll not find anywhere made just for you yeah it's drawn up for my mailing list you'll learn a lot of stuff actually i can't believe how many tickets we sold in one day it's actually sort of incredible but they're spread out across the whole tour the ones near the beginning that's where you've got to sell them in advance anyway and also, go to my YouTube channel and get some more spiritual videos and uh, all of that kind of stuff. That's Trying awesome to achieve ones. equality would be a violation right, of capitalism. the of Not a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly
2: right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology.
0: What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Jeremy, thanks for coming on Under the Skin, mate.
2: Hey, man, thanks for having me. I've been uh, admiring the way you've been talking about the UFO mystery.
0: It's really great that you've re-engaged people with this subject and moved the needle in the way that the conversation is taking place. So congratulations on doing that. How is it being at the centre of that?
2: Uh, well, it's 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 exhausting. Uh, you know, the, the the fun of it is that this is my... Uh, passion you know is to kind of learn about uncharted territories and that's definitely what we have with the ufo topic but there's a lot of existential resistance to the fundamental concept of facing reality you know the physical tangible aspect of the ufo phenomenon so you know you get a lot of vitriol.
0: yeah what do you think that resistance is
2: uh it's like a like a kinetic reaction, like we, we, we have it, where there's something within us that we're trying to preserve. It's a version of reality that maybe we were taught, but we didn't suspect to be true. Mm. So it's that conflict, that duality of, of of what we think probably deeply is true, but, but what we've been taught uh, to resist. I think that that's what that is.
0: When did your interest in the subject start?
2: I was 13 years old. I heard uh, George Knapp interviewing... Bob Lazar on the radio, I mean, across the airwaves, that interview went around the world in, in you know, 1998, sorry, 1989. And uh, that really was the moment, man, when he described the propulsion system, the way something would fall into place rather than like roller skates to rockets all work off the reactionary propulsion system. When I heard Bob Lazar explain that, it just absolutely, I like to say it weaponized my curiosity, but I, I, I really mean that. I stopped being a a passive consumer of information and I became a participant in trying to understand, you know, if that was true. Was Bob Lazar telling the truth? Because that flips the script. If we have a propulsion system that is non-reactionary, it's completely different. The the distances no longer matter.
0: Hmm. For you then, do you find it sufficiently fascinating to stay within the realm of the technology and keep it sort of there, rather than get into the kind of um, biopolitics and the cosmology and the theology sort of side of it. Because I guess I'm probably t- two years older you, older than you, based on what you've just told me. Because I feel like I heard either that interview or a similar one, and for me it was around the time I was, you know, first taking LSD and all of that, and it was like hold on a minute, reality is not what I've been told, you know, all of those sort of disruptions all landed and then I kind of necessarily, not necessarily, but in practice went quiet on the kind of UFO alien stuff because of, as you obviously know, the way that it's culturally positioned and the way that it's um, treated and you know, it was. I was very excited, particularly when you were on Rogan with Bob Lazar, and just to hear his name again. I know there was Bob Lazar, Bob Exler, Timothy Good. These are uh, Eric Von Daniken. These names that I sort of associate with that stuff that lit me up because it made me think that all of culture needs to be revised. If either it sort of it demonstrates to us that everything we believe in is a kind of construction, the way we're contextualizing reality is so limited that it's almost invalid.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's not sufficiently fascinating as you started, you know, saying that, you know, about the technology to me, that's just the starting point. If we can agree on something physical and tangible that you can hold in your hands, then we can start to ask the bigger questions. But until we agree that there's something just tactile, functional and physical, I think it's hard for people to begin to really take that leap seriously. So I I think that this is the tip of the spear. Is Mm. do we have physical materials from another advanced civilization that we have been storehousing and trying to exploit within our military? If we can get there, then I believe that the real interesting questions begin.
0: Do you think that with, you know, the starting point, as you've just outlined it, is it is this technology so advanced that the speculation around it that suggests it could be advanced human technology is uh, like ridiculous?
2: Yes. Uh, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So so that's kind of, you know, this is really the, the pushing point. No one wants to say it, but everybody understands it to be true. And, and our military that has been exploiting these technologies for decades, they do know how these machines operate. And remember, propulsion is one aspect. If you can generate gravity, if you can amplify a wave of gravity, then, then everything changes. The, the, the technology of the propulsion system has effects temporally. It has a, effects from a national security and weapons system. It has effects of, of travel. It, it, everything in science fiction becomes science fact once we can duplicate it. However, the programs, from my informed understanding, is that the limiting factor has always been the material science. We, it doesn't break the laws of physics as we know them, but the actual materials to create these amplification machines, the fuel source, we are fundamentally limited because of our ability to basically stack atoms. It's our ability to create metamaterials where there's perfect harmony between each level with very slight uh, alteration in angle, as well as when you fabricate something uh, gravity itself has an effect on the structure. We now know metamaterials have unique properties because they're layered perfectly atomically. But if those atoms even have a little bit of gravity in their production, it changes the orientation of the layering. So not to get too weird about it, but that is the limiting factor, is the replication of material science as far as I know at this time. So it's kind of neat. Like we got some toys, but we don't really get the keys to them.
0: I see. So it's sort of like a rec- it's an it has an esotericism to it that kind of, when you start to contemplate, oh, right, so whoever built this knows how to account for the impact of gravity when creating this meta structures and stacking these atoms. It, I suppose what that suggests is an intelligence and a consciousness that's highly, highly advanced. It's not like, oh, this is like the stealth bomber. It's not like that. It's not like an, an evolution of what we already have. It's a deviation.
2: And, and even further, I mean, and you'll appreciate it. And we, let's talk outside the realm of technology for sure. I'm very comfortable with that. Most people don't ask about it, but, but check this out. This is that bridge. This was really hard for me to wrap my head around. I'm a nuts and bolts kind of guy. I was a mixed martial athlete my whole life. Everything's functional. It either works or it doesn't work. It's technical. A smaller person can defeat a bigger person if their technique is better, then you don't work with brute strength. So with this problem of technology and consciousness, this is where I think we can have a unique discussion. It is a fact that human consciousness can affect machinery. This is something that has been proven, and I don't want to repeat it to you, but you know about it from the you know Princeton Anomalies Research Laboratory, random number generators, this sort of thing. Everybody knows about these, or they just have Google at the tips of their fingers. They'll figure it out. So here's the deal. If consciousness can affect physical machinery and the mechanics of that doesn't really matter, we don't gotta go into it, but but it works, it happens. The way I understand these craft to operate, there is a connectivity between the consciousness of the operator as well as the machines themselves. And that seems so far out until you really start back engineering the idea of how that works. We are getting closer to that. Your cell phone is an extension of your body. Your eye movement can now be tracked by machines. I mean, once you bridge that gap between what the mind is thinking and how the machinery around you operate, that's what we're seeing in this advanced technology.
0: In a sense that the distinction between consciousness and matter has been closed, dissolved. Um. Why is this happening now? You know, like, obviously, I've done a couple of videos on your um, releases and your revelations. And, you know, when we sort of look at the content and how the content's been received, it's doing really, really well. People, as you know, obviously, are fascinated. Why wouldn't they be? One of the things that our audience, like and I'm talking about my YouTube channel, come up with a lot is like... Why is this happening now? It must be a distraction. Like, you know, so many people that are interested in this subject are mistrustful of the Pentagon, the CIA. These people, that's the enemy, that's the baddies, that's the people that's been controlling us, manufacture of consent, we can't trust them. So when you hear, like, you know, that it's coming from the military and these releases are coming from the very places that we have been taught to mistrust, people are naturally sort of, if not cynical, certainly sceptical. So what do you make of that, Jeremy?
2: Well, it's not. It's not coming from the military, and that's what's so great. You know, I've obtained and released numerous videos. You know, obviously, I have good sources. I, I make sure not to put anything. You know, classified because it, my my intent is not to harm the structure of, of of secrecy. Something should be kept secret. You know, as they're figured out. However, what we're seeing is the will of the people on representative government, and then representative government finally picking up the things that we are putting down and pushing forward to penetrate these boundaries that the average citizen can't um get into which is these halls of government that actually make policy change on the concepts that we all relate to you know money is a concept well so is ufos this is a war of ideas and uh this 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 idea that we finally have people paying attention who are beholden to us from our intelligence agencies to our Congress and Senate and the Senate Intelligence Committee, asking for this report coming out, you know, this month. For me, it's very hopeful. You know, look, uh, government should uh, work for us. They do, and so th- if it goes the other way, we're in big trouble. So all I'm seeing is that things are working the way that they should work. The the lies are done. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, as they say. There are too many people you know, in the, in the 50s and the 60s where there's moments where there was this touch to try to expose a little of this all the way up to the Clintons. And everybody was stymied the whole way through. And there are attempts to do that now, I'll tell you that. But it's the will of the people. It, it, I'm, I'm bringing stuff out. I'm not the government. I'm bringing stuff out to, to shake the trees, to try to make sure that as this report comes closer, that our will is clearly defined. You got to ask a question to get an answer. So hopefully some of what I put out will be addressed in these reports coming. But essentially, I think the biggest point of this is that this is not the government playing marionette to human awareness and consciousness. It's quite the reverse. You know, that the population of civilian population, we are playing marionette with our own government.
0: So like the I suppose one of the differences between this and previous um sort of revelations, like, you know, sort of even the big hitters like Hangar 51, Roswell, all these things that are sort of well into public consciousness, the modern myths around UFOs and extraterrestrials and stuff. The, The difference is that, you know, there's good quality materials, good quality footage, presumably from inside the military establishment. And then a sort of Pentagon officially saying, yeah, we don't know what that is. You know, rather, than, and this is a weather balloon. This is you know, ridiculous. This was some sort of uh, training exercise or whatever. So, but that so that is a difference, and you're saying that that difference is because it's indefatigable evidence being widely disseminated as opposed to some public d- definitive stance of or change of policy.
2: Yeah, there absolutely, we're still there's a resistance, but but here's the deal. Um, it's the it's two things. It's the corroborative nature of informational. Uh, output, essentially what we're seeing is a pilot that says, I saw something and no longer is that pilot afraid to say something because there's other people that have come before, then you have actual FLIR or thermal video forward-looking infrared. So if you just held up a camera, an iPhone, typically you wouldn't see what you're seeing in the, in the thermal. But with the thermal, you get so much more information about what you're seeing because of the way it picks up the heat. And um, then you, you tie into that other sensor data, which is the, the big bombshell last week that I released, which is that we have radar data which corroborates and supports this idea of a swarm of UFOs. So debunkers can't just any longer say, well, it's a single balloon that drops into the water. So when you start making almost like a triangle of information, it gives a lot of structure to an event that did happen. So that amplified by instantaneous release and dissemination, which is the power of social media, one tweet can be more powerful than every network on planet earth coming to pick something up for a big hit and a big story. So I think that that's the power position we're in, as well as the technological advances our radar systems on our planes we can just see these things better so that we can target them and go towards them better it it does appear to me that activity has increased and it's amplified and that is something that is backed up with the the data both in the civilian world and in the military world so what i'm saying is you have the structure of information of corroborative information from eyewitness testimony to radar to satellite to all of these things FLIR video Showing and painting a narrative that then can be instantly disseminated with great, great, massive power. That is the difference today.
0: Mm. Have you ever seen one yourself?
2: Man, I wish. I want to see a mothership. I want to see (laughs) a flying saucer like Bob Lazar described. You know, I have absolutely seen anomalous aerial things but I have not been sat. My bar might be really high where other people say that's so cool. Saw that in the sky. That was a solid star. And then boop, 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 it moves. Nothing does that, but that's not good enough for me.
0: I saw this thing once. I was in Los Angeles and it looked like, you know, um, it sort of, there was someone else there, by the way, like uh, as a security person, when I was more involved in Hollywood and celebrity and that kind of world, you know, I was at home and I was outside and like I looked up and I saw like a translucent like outline of an object that seems sort of organic rather than sort of like how you would geometrically do something like a sort of like a prawn or a shrimp but like some sort of translucent bit of sea life. Right. And like like it went over and I goes to the geezer that was there I goes, mate, can you see that? And he's like, yeah. And for a minute, we were like, OK, fuck so (laughs) reality's not what we thought you know i mean obviously this is um i don't know 35 or 36 so we've already been through all of the stuff like when i was 16 and believing this so that was like you know the one that sort of stays with me as a thing but you know like time passes you sort of think oh oh, well so is that kind of that one that i described is that something that you've heard about that kind of technology
2: yeah so it's not something that i have reported on yet uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna reserve that But, you know, privately, um, I I would relay some stuff to you. I'll say this. I was shocked to see evidence of objects that defy my rationale of, of what things should look like, especially if they're machines. Objects moving through war zones or... Around sensitive installations, and, and and that information will come out. I promise you mm. that. It's just it's so strange, Russell. Like what I what I have witnessed, you know, not personally, but like in let's say clear video. These things are they, they they bend the shape of my boundary uh, of what I thought things should look like. Mm. When you said pawn, yeah. that's so weird. I mean, that's <laughs> a weird shape. Like, what is that with like <laughs> dendrites and like
0: you know. Yeah, like it wasn't like you would sort of. It's, I suppose what it suggests is like a um, what do I want to say? Like a kind of a distinct evolutionary path. Like that the we we only see reality within the frameworks of our kind of semantic grammar, visual grammar by an understanding of nature and technology, these are sort of quite entrenched ideas. And to sort of sometimes, yeah, if you see them breached, you can't even, as in the perhaps apocryphal tale of the galleons arriving, you know, you sort of find it hard to frame that. Your reality doesn't create space for that.
2: Well, just one thing before, you know, isn't it interesting? Like, you've seen something that kind of like pushed on that boundary. If we really get into the weird space here, when people engage or have an encounter it's very rarely that it's just like they see something in the sky i've collected reports for you know 15 years where the additional things that that occur what what seem like temporal distortion which seem like consciousness manipulation which seem like you know much stranger things than machines flying in the air that that go hand in hand so that's why i call the ufo topic the phenomenon because it's a phenomenon that reaches far beyond just that tangible. There are other aspects that are associated with the UFO phenomenon that are very consistent, and, and it's very bizarre.
0: That's interesting. Like, almost sort of like uh, correlates to psychedelics, say. that even, Like, different individuals at different times will have a psychedelic experience that has archetypal components that are very difficult to rationally dispatch and dismiss. That there are components that, that it's not like that almost the sight of an object in the sky is that just the, the breach of one plane of reality and that is accompanied by psycho spiritual uh, conscious and conscious phenomena, also that it has. And I suppose when you are describing like deep technology that is dependent on. Uh, a different interpretation should we say, of the laws of physics then it's, it's it makes a sort of abstract sense that it would impact consciousness, time the what we perceive to be the sort of pillars of our reality
2: yeah, like there's the, when you're looking into this topic there there's a perforation between this this firmament of of belief. You know, and and based on knowledge, and then this this other thing that you encounter and experience that you have yet to create, that that uh, you know archetype for. It's very hard to assimilate for some people. It's really, especially like engineers. It's it's really, you know, scientists that call me. It's really hard to to assimilate that information. But I I think over time we all find ways to do it. It can take twenty years for people to do it sometimes. When we're talking about technology. I have a question i mean I, I don't know the answer to this but as we become more technologically developed will our machines become more organic in nature will they assimilate with the natural world in ways where a stone building just doesn't in the same way or you know w- will we fuse a little bit organically with the world around us and i i do believe that as our technology increases we're seeing more organic materials being placed. And I think things will represent the natural world more, almost indistinguishable from the natural world as things evolve technologically, I, I believe.
0: Do you think that extraterrestrials have been intervening in human affairs well into prehistory?
2: Yeah, I mean, as recent as a couple of weeks ago. They're, they're, see, this is the thing, man. What do you mean by intervening? Because if you come in and you shut down nuclear weapons, that's definitely intervening. So right there, there you go. And if you look back at the you know, notes of Alexander the Great or people that have had these UFO encounters, at least historically it appears that way since the beginning of recorded or modern human history. So intervening, it just depends what you mean on a very personal level. I mean, I know two of the closest witnesses to the aerial school phenomenon in South Africa where the ships came down to kids and two of the children closest to the beings they were intervened with they they got pictures, they were given pictures, they were like mesmerized and broke out of it, and those have stayed with them and they they have now been talking about it. It was like messaging, so intervene, yeah, absolutely
0: the revelations that you have, obviously, I recognize like the kind of um pacts and obligations you must have to the people that you're dealing with are all the obligations that you have primarily about technology and from sources within the kind of military sort of complex, are there other kind of more theological or philosophical leaks where it's like, you know, where the news headline would be, Well, since biblical times, uh, extraterrestrials have been interacting with human beings, and Christ himself was an alien. Like, is there any of that kind of stuff? Or is it much more, look, you can't have propulsion systems that go under the water and then come above the water. That's such a mad deal that it suggests an intelligence beyond what we can comprehend.
2: Yeah, so my individual life, I have people from every single profession and walk of life that will reach out to me. It's an impossible amount of communications a high majority of those individuals, spanning every field you can imagine, will tell me something, allow me to record it for my own knowledge, but never to put out public because this is something that they just need to unload. They just need somebody to hear it. And for me, the benefit is it paints a larger picture for me of what might be going on. So I've been able to inform my position by just hundreds and hundreds of, of these relationships that are never going to be public and it's just the nature of it. Uh, I will also say that there is explanation uh, and, or a believed understanding of what we're experiencing within the military, within people that are in these exploitation programs, because we're talking about exploitation, just the disassembling, reassembling of something. There, there's physical exploitation programs like you know, power and propulsion. But you, you'd find it interesting that within these military programs, There's also for the, for the non-terrestrial issue, there's also exploitation programs for language, for biology, for, for everything you can imagine. So imagine you, you stumble across an archeological dig and there's just things there that shouldn't exist from your perspective, technologically, but also culturally, so you have to have people to look at this. Now, is any of that true? Like if I have a physical thing in my hand, I can test it. There you go. I don't know but it has been conveyed to numerous people. So if you look at the original things that Bob Lazar said, he said, I know what I put my hands on. You know, I'm a a nerd scientist. I know what I put my hands on. Now I'm going to separate that, he said. Here are things that were told to me or or briefings that were shown to me. I have no idea if this is true, if this is disinformation. I have no way to prove it, but here's what was told to me. And he did talk more about these ontological things. He talked about these... um, Cultural things. He talked about, you know, a little bit about the language that he saw. He talked about uh, this idea that some of the figures uh, throughout human history, at least this is what the the visitors told us, is that they had they had a um, guided human development. Now, now is that true, genetically and spiritually or culturally? I have no idea, Russell. I am the least qualified to answer that. You should definitely interview someone else. But you know, but. It's interesting to
0: think about. Yeah, it is, isn't it, from like a sort of from an evolutionary perspective, you know, when that that sort of common area of interrogation, the missing link as it's referred to in sort of anthropological and archaeological terms, the idea that there was a sudden alteration, but it, like a, an an introduction of a new type of intelligence and understanding that's difficult to comprehend. And one of the things I've struggle with and you know i've spoken to people like um like what you might call science communicators neil degrasse tyson brian cox one of the things that i struggle with is they're sort of um and i like both of those men you know I respect them both but i would say almost a kind of dogmatic approach to materialist rationalism and a foreclosing on the potentials of this dif- discrete. Uh, it, it evolved varying realities that even that in a sense defy the teleology of ordinary science like just recently with the mapping of dark matter that's oh right so okay that fucks with the theory of relativity cool so that that was once the apex now it's not the apex we got to review that and obviously quantum physics and some of the things we've touched on and obviously much of the technology you're talking about For me, that's sort of, that's where, in a sense, another thing that I'm interested in with the kind of revelations that you're making in the area that you're working is, is it's precisely this interface between technology, consciousness, and spirituality that I think is a kind of uh, necessary charge to um, reinvigorate our stagnating and atrophying culture.
2: You know, this is important. UFOs are real. But but so so is hubris, the, the the ego that you find within you know intelligence. So you know Brian Cox, that guy's great. I I always see him imagining far beyond what we know, and I think that's uh, that's incredible. I find it disappointing that there is this um, data poor perspective being taken by people like Neil Tyson recently. It's just it it is. It is absolutely data poor. We, we, we're living in a data rich environment when it comes to the UFO topic, and to to speak upon it as an authority, but with, without any authority because you haven't educated yourself or been educated because your hubris gets in the way. It, it's it's sad. I think science should be salivating over the physical data that's right there that now can be analyzed. And some people are like Michio Kaku said, look, the ball's in in, in the court of science and the government now to prove these aren't UFOs because the evidence is overwhelming that these are coming from somewhere else. So some people are embracing it. You know, they're, they're allowing themselves to be part of a greater concept of the universe where other people dismiss it without any knowledge, without even a basic rational understanding of the technology in which we're observing these things through. So, just one UFO has to be you know, truly from another place for the whole phenomenon to be real. So you look at hundreds and thousands, if not millions of cases and individual sightings. You look, man, the evidence is on our side that there is a true mystery here. So the wave of the hand dismissal I find to be very uh, tragic when it could be very empowering uh, for, for the rest of the world if people in perceived positions of authority would just... Look at the data and speak from an informed position. So that that's kind of a, a sticking point for me. Makes me throw my hands up, my chin down. (laughs) Um, Jeremy, what do you think could be
0: the cultural impact of a broader acceptance of the veracity of the UFO data in the Ontological and cultural area that we've touched upon, but not really explored. You know, given the sort of anonymous uh, testimony that you've acquired, and the uh, as you have said that that comes from a, a breadth of disciplines—biology, uh, linguistics. What do you think if it was to if this information? Obviously, what you're doing is you're trying to spread this information. That's what you're doing, right? Uh, so, what's where you where you see this going, mate? What's the intention?
2: Yeah, well, that's going to be wholly dependent upon you know what resistance we have within each of us, and then you know kind of from a group standpoint. But I I think that this satisfies um, an, an an explorative part of ourselves that we've had since kind of the beginning. I imagine I'm looking up at the stars. There's no light around me from cities yet, even, and and I have to wonder, you know, what are those points of light? What are those wanderers that move through the sky? We've created a mythologies about this, and every time that we learn something that really anchors that, it just creates more questions. It's like with every telescope, we see a little bit further. You focus in the blackest part of space, and it's just filled with galaxies. So I really am hopeful. I'm, I'm an optimist because the world has taught me to be an optimist. The world has taught me that, that being optimistic gets you further than being pessimistic. So w- when I look out into these skies and I'm thinking, wow, can I accept that? Can I accept that there's probably people everywhere and that some have had more time to advance to the point where maybe they stay inter- you know, within the planet or maybe they reach out beyond because they have a capabilities, even resources and materials that, that, that we don't have. I mean, imagine if we all started with solar, we never tapped into fossil fuels. It would never ha- even have been a thought because we had taken the time to develop you know, solar energy. So, or our absorption of it for power. So I'm saying that as the, the world, uh, as it expands, as our understanding expands personally, there's a sense of community where you're thinking, "Wow, there's others, others like us, and and and, and people that uh, hi baby, uh, and people that um, you know maybe have had more time to to develop, and that for me is so." That's a community. That's a community that expands me me and and makes me try to reach further in my own life. So I think it can only be positive if we if we begin to understand there's a greater reality and if it is true, I want to be part of that. Mm. I do.
0: Yeah, I do. Does that make sense you, to you? Yeah yeah how do you what about uh like something else you said about like you know sort of archaeology and potential historic and prehistoric influence? what do you think about that like you know what you you say in egypt what, like what kind of uh where do you see uh if not not necessarily evidence but areas for conjecture around uh, historic uh, interaction between extraterrestrials and humans
2: right. Yeah, like like the possible terraforming of Earth, but, you know, with, 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 um, with help, you know, the idea that we've been helped. You know, look, I'm not an expert in that part of this field, but I'm just saying, you know, it would be interesting to me how we modify genes, we modify, you know, fundamentals of DNA, and we're able to alter a, a sort of natural progression of biology, if that is a, a, a function of development, then that's the natural function of development, and and we will start to integrate our will into the physical, tangible world, even down to the to the biology of animals. And I, I don't know if I'm being clear about that, but we do that. You know, we do that yeah. now. So could somebody have done that? And this is the idea of pans directed panspermia, the idea that from outside coming to Earth, there was a a, a directed uh, panspermia, meaning. Um, you know, kind of populating certain biological ideas on the planet Earth to help develop humanity or something? Is is that possible? Uh, yeah, for sure it's possible. We do it on a very small scale. Absolutely. So then the question becomes from there, you know, have we had help? Has there been assistance? And, you know, I don't know. I just know that with our greatest cranes today, could we move, you know, the, the, the monoliths of ball back and, you know, put them into place and like, It would be very hard today to do this, yet ancients were able to. So there was absolutely a technology that we haven't figured out that was utilized. Now, does that mean it's not humanity? You know, well, we don't have historic record of it. So that's difficult, you know, how these things were done properly. But it does raise the question. It raises the question of, even if you don't know the answer, where are the holes? What do we not know? If you can if you can determine you don't know something then that's the first step to finding it out right but we have to know where those blind spots are so without speaking about it because this is not my area of expertise i would think this is a fascinating place for people to put their is how did the did humanity develop precisely to where we we are and, and what technologies have proof or existence of that, that we no longer recall and where did they come from?
0: You know how like people are open to ideas that ten years ago would have been implausible or um, preposterous. Like, uh, oh, we're living in a simulation. You know, because it's become popularized by people that are on, a, I would say, a sort of a, an interesting trajectory around the, the way that human beings might find a way out of our current predicament, resources inequality, etc you know, that that those ideas seem attractive. But like in terms of as a paradigm, that's no different from in the, Bhagavad Gita saying, Oh, this is just one layer of reality. This has been constructed. You're operating within it. There's a supreme intelligence made up of a vast array of beings that are difficult for you to conceive of, operating in sort of in worlds that don't obey physics as you understand them. And like, you know, even the desert faiths have that kind of stuff in them. Like, sort of, I, you know, the one that the thing that hooked me as a kid was like when it was started saying, like when they, it sounds like ancient people without technology trying to understand an advanced technology. That's the sort of thing that as a 16-year-old, I was like, oh, shit, man, that's, that's cool. Chariots of fire and lights in the sky and the telekinesis and telepathy. Instead of it being the domain of faith-based mysticism, that counterpoint to the faith that everything is sort of bleached out by rationalism and materialism, it can be this sort of intersectional midpoint that is, you know, like that famous maxim, all technology, you know, all magic is technology that we don't understand yet, that this is a way, this is a potential ladder to that point. That's something that I dig about it, Jeremy.
2: Oh, yeah, I dig that too, man. Um I don't know. I, I I think that we are on a kind of precipice where we're looking over this edge, and we're saying, okay, there there's something important going on here, and it's been it's been going on for a long time, and and maybe past cultures have embraced this in ways that we haven't. Maybe we got it in front of ourselves or ahead of ourselves. You know, we can lose information. It takes if it's not written down, it takes one generation. And oral traditions are are completely lost, so it really makes you wonder. It makes you wonder kind of what we have lost along the way, what we've forgotten, and I, mm. I think that probably we've forgotten more that than we've learned, and and that's that that's um tragic and beautiful because we can restart once we forgot something.
0: How have you got yourself in this position? From you know your background, I know you're a black belt in jitsu and congratulations, that's no mean achievement in itself. How have you got from that world to this one? How did, how, how did you get here, mate?
2: Uh, that was probably closest to the most es- spiritual experience of my life, I would say, because I'm not, you know, I'm kind of like, I don't even know when the coffee pot's going to go off after I set it, you know, so I'm not really in tune with certain things. But how that transition was was accidental, man. And the, the bullet points are this, I, you know, I thought I was, I thought I was a mixed martial athlete. That's who I was. And then then I just kind of felt like, hey, this is a beautiful life. I can see the end of it. I can look down the yellow brick road and bam, there I am. And it's the end. Wow, what a cool life. Is there anything more to this for me? And like I said it out loud and it was probably the dumbest, well, the coolest thing because man, when you say something out loud, I have learned not to underestimate the power of that. I got an answer, man. I mean, I got smashed with an illness. I was just basically a crippled version of myself. I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't train. I couldn't do anything. I, I gave away my schools of martial arts, and for therapy reasons, I you know just kind of started. Um, well, first I started taking apart computers, putting them back together, then putting them into windows and doors and making art. And then someone mistook me as an artist as they walked by my garage. Boom! I've got an art show. Had an art career. Was crazy. Then someone mistook me you know, as a filmmaker, which was awesome, because the second that I pointed a camera at somebody, I realized it was a passport into their lives about things they'd never told their families. And I thought, wow, this little machine is great. Just pointed at somebody. And then all of a sudden, they tell you everything, they answer everything you ask? Why? Because you're pointing something at them? I mean, it was like a, it was like a gun for truth. (laughs) So that was like, I was like, oh, I'm going with this. This is great. So I just bring a camera and say, yeah, I've never made one, but I'm I'm trying to make a film. In fact, I am making one. I didn't even know how to edit anything. I was like, all right, here we go. So that was where I was, I was mistaken, you know, as something. And I realized that I am not uh, the things that I do. I was not a martial athlete. I'm, I'm Jeremy. And I was expressing that in the form of martial athletics because it feeded me and feeded the world. Uh, however, same thing with art, you know, uh, painting, whatever. I can't even draw a stick figure, but that that career. And then, and then into the, the the film and the cinema. And I guess I became a filmmaker the moment one of my films was viewable on Netflix because that was the first time my film had ever been viewable. So great, that was my first film. Uh, so was, I, I'm an accidental artist that transitioned between you know warrior or martial athlete, um, you know, or martial artist into into being a, a fine artist into being a you know cinema artist. I don't know what you call it, filmmaker. Um, it was not a path. I guess I chose it, but it presented an opportunity to me. And, I, and I, I, I fucking snatched it. I grabbed it and I ran.
0: What was the illness at the beginning of this?
2: Oh, valley fever. Uh, I was in Nepal, which I, I didn't even, I said, when they said you can go to Nepal without a passport or without a visa, I was like, ooh, I didn't even know what they're talking about. Never, never heard of the place. And I, I, I got valley fever. You inhale spores in like a farmland. And uh, you can get it in California, and then it, it's uh, in the lungs. And I, I almost lost my life a couple times because it was undiagnosed, and I was overseas. Got back, and I was my kidney, liver, heart, everything had been crippled by this just uh, really n- horrible thing. And then I, you know, took medicine. UCLA Special Disease saved my life, and I was just really weak for a year physically. But then, you know, that birthed something else.
0: Mm. You've written a book, "Radiant Source: Cultivating Warrior Consciousness." Whoa!
2: How do you know about that? Most people have never talked about that.
0: Well, we're very serious over here. Uh, uh, like this to, is yeah, a real. You're a
2: deep dive into people's past.
0: You gotta watch us. <laughs> you really have. We've got all oh, the, the, on, the data. You've <laughs> written that book, and um spent time developing your own styles of martial and healing arts, quantum jiu-jitsu, warrior yoga. That's cool. That's a cool space. How did you get to this, like, situation with um, Bob Lazar? You know, like, how did did that happen?
2: Look, man, I started um, training the martial arts when I was nine years old, as well as what we now call, you know, yoga, like, popularized yoga. But it was just, like, to get fit and strong and be able to, you know, be better at fighting. So all of that. Part of my life was kind of how I was raised, you know, luckily, because I, you know, like a lot of us, you just, you, you're, you, you're, you know, 100 pounds of dynamite in a 10 pound box. What are you going to do? You got to get it out somehow. So the martial athletics taught me discipline, uh, the, the yoga, whatever we call it yoga, it taught me um, focus and patience. And it, it's very physical, right? So like, you can think something works in life. Like I'm going to go down to the store and meet this girl. Everything's going to go like this it never works the way you think. But in the martial arts, you can like take techniques. And in yoga, you can take techniques and you will see if it works right away. So it's like a bullet test or a proof. Now I applied that when I heard about Babazar, it, as I said, it, it weaponized my curiosity and I was like, okay, okay. I have big questions. Is Bob Lazar telling the truth? But Mm. like he is the the yeti of ufology, the Elvis of UFOs. Like, is he alive? Is he dead? Where does he live? Like, the guy doesn't talk. I mean, I heard George Knapp. I was like, whoa, you know, this journalist really got in there. I'll never be able to to find out the truth about Bob, but I gotta try. So when that illness came over, and I had kind of a new focus, my sole focus was okay to get to the crux of this. I need to know if Bob Lazar's telling the truth. I can't just be this crazy guy trying to ring up wherever he lives and just ask him, are you telling the truth? I need to know. And the way to know is not by asking, but it's by observing, right? So, man, I was like from day one with that camera. It was all about trying to find out a singular truth.
0: Why did Bob Lazar agree to do the film?
2: Dude, so... (sighs) Okay, I mean, I spent years on a dude's floor, just like going and filming and asking, you know, and he, he, he knew Bob and he was involved with the UFO stuff. He had crazy. He's the godfather of conspiracy. This guy, John Lear. I mean, just a wild guy, right? Half of what he says is true. Half of what he says isn't. And I'm not sure he distinguished. (laughs) And then, or, you know, he kind of tests you. Like he just sits there with a cigar and you're, you know, just stares at you down the barrel of the cigar. And you're like, what can I ask this guy? So anyway, for like seven years, I filmed with him. One day, Bob Lazar walks in and this was like, this is like me seeing, you know, the Beatles or something. I was like, okay, calm down, Jeremy. I put all the camera equipment away because he hadn't really gone on camera besides what the little bits George Knapp had done, you know, over this 25 year at time, 25 year period. And I was like, look, Bob, I don't know if you're telling the truth or not, but I feel like the only way, and I, I know you don't care if people believe you. But I I really feel like it would do a service just to tell us where you're at. Can I just film you for like three minutes? Boom. He said, yeah. So now all of a sudden the world has three more minutes of Lazar. And that just lit this fuse, this fire. So for years after that, I reminded him, hey, Bob, I'm here. If you ever want to clarify, because people have twisted your story. They have lied. They have misquoted you. They have spread outright lies and, and I can see it now because I know all of your friends. I started to get to know people in this space. Do you ever want to unwind that? I mean, at some point you got to throw a punch, you know, otherwise you're doing a disservice to the truth. And I, I knew, I knew somewhere inside of him that he's human. It affected him for 25 years. If people are, are talking bullshit, telling lies and, and, and assassinating your character so they can dismiss the message by, by dismissing the messenger. It will affect any human being. And I, I was kind of preying upon that. You know, I was praying upon that, that there's a human thing in him that just wants, that he's a fighter, man. Bob's a tough guy. He doesn't need anybody standing in front of him. You know, he might be a little nerdy because he's smart, but he is a tough motherfucker. So I was like, okay, look, I'm here. If you ever want me to take a, a serious look at what you've told in the light of what we know now, and this was before all the new UFO revelations, just let me know. So we stayed in touch, stayed in touch, and then one day I get this, it was actually a voice message, you know, and he says, all right, Jeremy, um, I want you to come visit me. So my wife's like, are you going to film with him? I said, I have no idea, but I'm flying to Michigan right now. So I packed my bags, packed my camera equipment, I go in there, I kind of hid that I had my camera equipment, and I go to the airport, I go to Bob, I'm like, hey, Bob, what's up? We're sitting in his, like, living room at, like, 11 p.m. with his wife is there. And I'm just looking at him. I go, hey, Bob, so why am I here? And he goes, well, you said you wanted to film a movie. And I'm like dying inside. I'm like, I do, but here's the deal. I need 100% access to everything in your life, uninhibited from your cell phone to your friends. I need that. Otherwise, I can't do it. I need to have full and complete access. And, And I wouldn't grant that to somebody. And he says, you know what, um, as long as you just don't tell lies, mm. whatever you see, whatever you find, don't lie about it. Then he says, I, I, I trust you enough to know that, that you're going to do a good job. And I had never really made a movie, like a good movie. You know? so I was like, he put a lot of faith in me. And that's exactly and precisely what he did was he went out on a limb. I later asked him why. You know, why did you do that? Because he, he received nothing. People make up all these conspiracy theories. He not only received nothing, he wouldn't take any compensation for his time. He was completely like, that'll taint the whole thing. I just want people to know the truth. So look, man, I asked him why he did it later, you know, why he let me in. Because it, it did turn his life upside down. And he thought people were going to just smash him again because that's what he was used to. He thought there would be government issues, which there ended up being a little bit, but um, the reason why is because in, in in this later phase of his life, I think he began to realize this is not about survival for him anymore, which is why he came forward in the first place, you know, to protect himself. Uh, but really it was because he really felt this was a crime, a crime to the development of, of human knowledge that these programs and this information is so stovepiped, it's so isolated, that you can't have a scientific community studying that, and that's a crime against humanity. So he did it this time around for altruistic reasons.
0: Mm, that's yeah, that's a cool motivation, of course, and reminds me a little bit of Snowden. Hey, you know, like that sort of sometimes it's like uh, the light comes through people and they end up being the perfect and necessary vehicle for particular piece of information or a particular energy or or whatever it is. So with your approach to this subject now, now that you've become the sort of, I wouldn't say foremost authority, but necessarily a kind of pivotal figure and a kind of like the access point to all of this information and a personal enthusiast or I wouldn't say evangelist because of the negative connotations of that word, but if we could strip it of those... You know like it's obviously you're very very passionate about it Are you do you have a do you have a I wouldn't say agenda do you have an intention it do beyond spread the word do you have particular people that you want to communicate it to particular areas that you want to take it into particular questions you'd like to see answered so for example i know that um at least i know I, I submit that there is some strategy in the way that you are releasing the information in order to sort of build a kind of a narrative and to create a kind of an understanding so for me strategy and intention are, are, are related so i just want to ask you about
2: that a little yeah brother every move man every move um i am one thing i can say about myself is that i i for certain things i'm i'm infinitely patient and this is one of them you know you said enthusiast evangelist you said um passionate look man i'm i'm passionate just to be alive when i wake up my eyes go boom i i'm feeling like really lucky because i didn't expect to have you know another chance so i would say that my passion you know it 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 goes far beyond the concept of ufo's i'm glad it comes across about UFOs because this is uncharted, unmapped territory, and I find that just um, inspiring, right? So, so my motivation is really to learn more. I want to know. I'm greedy, Russell. I want to know. Now, I don't want to believe. I want to know. And so, you know, can I get there by putting my face out there, being the punching bag for you know critics and for uh, you know, being obnoxiously loud at times, like you know can, can i can I learn more and and the answer is yes, I have and there 's no need for me to share like making a movie is to share something, making his art is to share something talking is to share something now that 's not a one way street it 's a two way street, so if I make a movie and people see that and they come to me with their story. That I have then received on the other end. So really, I'd I'd like to say it's altruistic, it, you know, get the information out. But really, it's very personal. I I want to know more about the nature of reality. Now, with that said, um, you know, I think that the higher motive for me, I, I guess the the greatest or the apex of uh, right now. You know, I reserve the right to change this at any moment. But for me, the the apex of this is that. I truly believe that our evolution individually, and also, you know, as you, as you say, spiritually or culturally as a society, you know, small societies within a large global society, as we're more interconnected, infinitely more interconnected, instantaneously more interconnected. It's that the more we can begin to grasp our position in this physical, tangible reality that extends far beyond where our eyes can see. We can e- begin to evolve towards what we're meant to be, whatever that is. I, I, I don't know, but if you have blinders on, if you have blind spots, it's your duty to try and re- remove them. They, they can be comforting. They can be focusing. They can keep you on a certain track, and sometimes you need to to put those on to focus on something, but eventually you need to pull them away, and you need to look outside. So the the ultimate, ultimate aim for me is to help understand and define exactly where I'm sitting in time and space and what it means to be human, what it means, I believe, to be a spiritual being in in a physical reality. You know, I, I, I sense that. And, and and that's just a personal thing. I usually don't talk about the personal stuff, but I do sense that we are a creative force. That that we are a we are a desire, and, and that desire has this unique ability to interact with physicality, which allows you to build. And, and I really believe that that is one of our greatest achievements within each human being is the ability to construct, hopefully in a positive way to build in a positive way and to create, maybe that's a better word, is just to create. So I think we know we're on the right path. If we feel impassioned, kind of like what you said. And then we might be on the wrong path. If we feel dispassionate. Mm. It's a good barometer.
0: Yes, that's a cool way of looking at it. Do you believe in God as in, do you believe in an object, an ulterior object beneath apparent measurable reality with a kind of a will and a consciousness that sort of is accessible to us individually?
2: Yeah, I think that, that would be hard for me to define. I'm not, you know, part of any uh, religion or I, I wasn't even raised that way. Um, however, you know, I have personal tangible physical experience of a current that runs through me that's um ancient and generational. It's something that informs me on a deeply a deeply I don't know, it's a pervasive level. Um but but I do feel it. And I, I don't think I need to define it. You know, for me, that's a spirituality, a form of spirituality is is to feel that current that that runs through me that that comes from my my ancestors maybe not I'm not talking about biologically, but just there's a current that runs through me, Russell, and I think you can deny it all day long, but eventually it's going to win.
0: Do so, uh, have you had um, addiction or mental health challenges in your life?
2: Oh, I think I think if you ask my wife, I continue to have mental health issues. You know? <laughs> um, so, no, I am not, uh, I have not been uh, over that precipice of, of addiction with, with substances. Like, you know, I I love mushrooms. They're, they're great. You know, uh, my entire, my entire, you know, family uh, going back, as far as I know, have battled with addiction and mental health. Um, I'm probably, uh, that's a little too personal, but I just know, and I've never taken anything for those things. I would say that I'm more like... I have to control a manicness about my energy more than a depressiveness, right? So to be hit the nail on the head, uh, no, I've never um had you know major addiction problems, like I used to smoke a lot, you know, uh, but that was fun. Uh and then as far as mental health, I think like anybody, there's a spectrum. I tend to be more manic and then have you know some lows, but I'm generally operating on a state of trying to push down to be able to properly communicate.
0: Yeah. Maybe they're getting into the martial arts and the yoga at a relatively young age is a good way of structuring, managing, controlling, directing, appreciating those energies I would, I would I would, imagine. Hey, mate, with the mushrooms thing, do you see a kind of a crossover between the sort of speculation and spiritual implications of an encounter with an extraterrestrial consciousness and the, ex- the inner experience of... Transformation brought about by psychedelics. Do you see sort of correlatives and crossovers there?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not directly from the drug. I don't think a drug gives you a porthole to another dimension, although it could. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've tried. I've tried to experience that. I didn't see the typical things. But, you know, look, I, I think we don't need anything to access these boundaries. It's just kind of like sometimes you just need to know a road is there in order to be able to walk down it. And I think that psychedelics. Can, can pave that road for you, but it is ultimately up to you to walk it without psychedelics. I mean, that's the only thing that is sustained and real within the fabric of your human existence is what you can reproduce without external uh, you know, elements. So I think that you can pave the road through psychedelics that, hey, there's more going on around you at all times. And if you, you focus, Your attention into just laser focus, you can then access those usually untangible realms to help inform the tangible experience that you're having. So I think it is very beneficial uh, at the right time for the right people to utilize things that are consciousness-altering in ways that are not harmful uh, to the human body or to the, the human awareness. I think it's very, very powerful. Now, you can have the same experience if you engage an unknown. One of these UFOs, people have absolute transformative experiences and they don't need to see a UFO every day to maintain that transformative experience of understanding their place in the universe is different than they thought. So it's the same thing, man. Anything that starts to push and mold the boundaries of of consciousness can be used for effective... Um, experience in life but you just you can't rely on one experience or one substance that just paves the road
0: it makes me think Jeremy that like, rea- like the reality is kind of porous somehow that there are you know membranes between dimensions that, that, that speaking personally that addiction is an attempt to kind of tether reality and make it kind of manageable when culture is too sort of diffuse and lacking in meaning. I think the reason I'm so engaged by this subject and the kind of subjects that could be corralled along with it and um, ancillary to it is because it gives me a kind of a richness to reality that's you know like a lot of people that have had like a mental health and addiction issues I look at reality and I think this isn't it this isn't enough I'm not talking about nature and the abundant beauty in nature although god there are some days where I could walk along next to a river and just I'm totally in my head and in my thoughts it doesn't matter what's around me it's the sort of uh, for me it's the idea that the sacred has to be promoted to the forefront it has to be a lived sacred a sort of a you know the opposite of the hubris that you described a kind of an ongoing open humility and an awareness of like wow man we don't know nothing this shit can change all of the time, and particularly if, hm who knows, if it's plausible if, that we can interact with um, mechanically, with machines via our consciousness, who knows what kind of cultures we are inadvertently instantiating via our ignorance, via our, our neglect in, apl- in applying that kind of conscious awareness to creation.
2: Yeah, you know, you're the artistry with which, you know, you personally, i admire the way you think and the way that you uh, express those thoughts. I think that addiction, absolutely, I've seen it in my own family, it, it is a way of kind of tempering these big feelings, you know, these, these, like your grasp, you know, is, is shorter than, or your reach is shorter than your grasp, you're, you're trying to grab something that it, some of the most powerful people are people that face the end, or face pain, and then they they move through it, and they move past it, and they accept all of those things that got them through those moments. I, I find that addiction is probably this tempering of this consciousness that is so strong that you need to manage it in a world that is unmanageable. I mean, the the world itself is totally insane. So you know, it's like with all of these ideas and feelings going on all around you. I'm, I assume that's a way to really bring that in and manage it. We can all relate to that, whether we've had a hardcore addictions or not, right? Um, but the, the artistry with which we perform within, within our lives, like the old saying, the, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything, right? So from the way you communicate and speak, from the way that you allow your thoughts to penetrate, right? I feel that that is ultimately what we're all striving for, which, or I hope we're all striving for, which is to refine the human experience and our effectiveness while we traverse in the human experience so that the effect we have is the effect that we intend or better than. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like if we can all aim for that in the smallest of ways, keeping our own house in order, keeping our, our own thoughts like uh, you know, focused on the things that are beneficial for ourselves and others, then wow, you know it's a it's a, a reoccurring win, winning like every day you're like okay you know I'm I'm making one step forward to evolve my being and try to be the best version of myself that I can be. So I think ultimately all of this is just informing that we all have to choose our own paths. We all have our own struggles, which are just the greatest gifts. Anytime you feel pain or anxiety, that is a gift for you to figure out like what 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 you really need and what's going on. So I don't know. If that answers your question, I'm not even sure there there is a question. I think we're just talking here, but I think the (laughs) the idea is that maybe if we live our lives to the best of our ability, to the best of our human potential, that that by the action itself can inspire others to do the same. And by them doing it, holding us accountable to continue to live our best versions of ourselves.
0: Jeremy thanks man like I've just looking at my notes there's so many more things I could ask you but I've got to go and do something so but like, I hope that we're going to continue this conversation as, uh, I know that there's going to be Further revelations, my dear. Hope is that you're going to give me one of those revelations to launch uh, on my YouTube channel at some point in the future. Regardless of this, I know that um, me and you're going to hang out one day and talk about stuff. And yeah, I, it's really, really, really cool to meet you and to chat. I, to.
2: Really cool to meet you. I, I appreciate you, and I uh, you have a huge fan base that are very they're really hungry, and it, it's so cool to see because I think that our our words will be positioned well. Um, that, you know, people will want to hear them. You know, it's like talking into a void, saying the same thing over and over does nothing. So it's been a a pleasure to speak with you. I would love to hear you on my mentor in journalism's radio show called Coast to Coast AM. Have you heard about it?
0: No. I'll do it. I'll do it.
2: Biggest radio stations on planet Earth, and it's called Coast to Coast AM. It was Art Bell's, you know, radio station back in the day, which I'm sure you heard. Um, That's everything where they broke the Lazar story. So... I would love to hear you and your thoughts about all of this. And I think he's the journalist to ask you. I'm going to send you some samples of his show. But, dude, you've got to talk with him.
0: Okay, yeah, I'll do that. Thank you. Well, we'll stay in touch. We've been communicating anyway, haven't we?
2: Video text, baby.
0: That's the future. <laughs> that is the future. It's the
2: all right, Russell. <laughs> Thank Peace. you so much, man.
0: Thanks, Jeremy. That's okay, love, man. talk soon. Thank you for listening to Under Skimmer, Jeremy Corbell. Let me know what you're it on Instagram. Tag me at Russell Brand. Hey, if you've not bought Revelation yet, you should listen to that. I have read a bit of it the other day to inspire me when I was doing this Shakespeare show. I'll tell you more about that soon. And it did. And that's why I've lost my voice from Shakespeare. And meditate. And go back and listen to some old episodes. Thank you for listening to me. I'm so tired. I've got to wrap it up, Jin. It's
1: over now.
0: Oh, yeah, it is. It's over, isn't it? Yeah. Do
1: you want me to play the jingle?
0: Well, I'd like to hear it, yeah. Thank you. I think we're gonna have for to change it, Jen. It's too annoying. Too can't we do like a different type? Can I? Do you think Justin will help me to do another jingle? Yeah. I can't. You. I can't sing another one. I like it when he kicks in. I've sounded too much like Michael Jackson for my own good. <laughs> I
1: don't put <laughs> it on the public.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah, don't let the public. The public don't need. That. Do you want him to I just need sing? The, the jingle? devoted. I think we should try another thing. I mean, I think it was good fun. He's finished recording his album. But he's got time in his hands. But...